0: I'm feeling a bit left out. You both have plants in your room. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Fresh air. Oh. I need that oxygen.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have to send you a house plant.
0: Welcome to the Pool House Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Poolhouse Podcast. I am your host, Vincent George, aka Jake Robbins, here with Mr. 1816, aka Andy. How are we doing?
2: Yes, very well, mate. Very well. How are you?
0: I am very good. The weather is crazy out here. I don't know whether you're getting snow and sun and sleet.
2: Yeah, yeah, getting all of that, mate. All of that.
0: I mean, we're English, so that's what we talk about the weather.
2: <laughs> yeah we've kicked straight off with the weather but apart from the weather are you okay
0: i'm good i've got lots going on at the moment but I feel like yeah i'm excited by music at the moment nice i've just put out a song called slow it down lots of people are saying very nice things about it uh if you haven't heard it please check it out it's a slower paced jam you know you might get the hint from the title but, uh, <laughs> Andy, what you got going on at the moment?
2: Oh, what have I got going on? Uh, I've just uploaded my next track to DistroKid. So that's all signed off. I did the artwork start of this week. So that's uploaded. Uh, coming out April 22nd, I believe. So, nice. Yeah, another one in the can. I'm currently trying to finish, I don't know if it was the next one, but another one again. Struggling a little bit, actually. But... I think, yeah, it'll be over the line soon. So, yeah, in a uh, similar good place with music.
0: Cool. Uh, do you want to give any sort of hints to how that song will sound on April 22nd?
2: Uh, I guess it's more more accessible, piano house sort of tune with vocals. So, yeah, more of a. wanted to sort of release summery sounding songs As we go into summer. Nice. So I guess this is the first, yeah, more summery sounding one, less sort of atmospheric and dark and moody and more just straight up sort of. So speaking of the weather, you're going with the weather patterns, the seasons. Yeah, I am. Cool. Well,
0: no, that's exciting for you. I mean, don't play it down too much. That's a new sound for anyone who's been following your journey so far. So this is, yeah, the new sound of 1816 going into summer.
2: Yeah, just yeah, I just I just changed with the seasons like a Love it. like a chameleon. Love it.
0: So um we had an amazing guest that we spoke to this past week. He was very generous with his insight and yeah, we did a very, very long chat, but we got some really interesting points of view. Yeah, it's just great to have these conversations. I'll
2: tell you what's actually interesting, and I won't give it away, but The bit in it where he talks about his different outlets whereas i've gone for the same outlet but changing with the seasons he has a slightly different approach with that yeah um interesting
0: there is lots in there i mean we start right at the beginning and go right up to his current you know breakout year so without further ado let's get into it andy you have a good weekend and uh talk to you soon mate
2: you too buddy take care
0: Yellow Koala is a producer, songwriter and artist based in North London. He is also part of the production duo called Sonder. He's just had his breakout year co-writing and co-producing the Brit-nominated global hit that is Heartbreak Anthem by Galantis, David Guetta and Little Mix. He currently has two songs sitting proudly in the UK Top 40 with Galantis and Becky Hill's Run as well as Sagala's Melody. In our chat he walks us through his journey as a songwriter and producer. From doing work experience for his uncle's jingle company to taking a leap of faith and quitting his job to go pursue his songwriting dream. He also tells us about some advice he got which ultimately led to more success as well as forming a valuable friendship with a like-minded A&R within the music industry. We talk about the song that changed his life as well as how Heartbreak Anthem was written this is our conversation with yellow koala enjoy and stay good yo 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 check check check
1: how's it going dude
0: one good. two one two how we doing
1: <laughs> Mic check one two yes very good thanks i just text jake saying it's been so long since i've done a zoom that i had to redownload it onto my <laughs> phone
2: Yeah, it's very early pandemic, wasn't it, Zoom?
1: (laughs) Very early pandemic. It's gone out of style now. I think people are on um, rooms now. We are (laughs) moved over to
2: rooms.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm Uh, totally out of the loop. Yeah, whatever it is. But yeah, how are you doing?
1: I'm very good, buddy. How are you? You've
0: been away for a bit, haven't you? So are you uh, readjusting or have you been back? I can't remember how long you've been back for.
1: Um, I've been back for a week-ish now. So yeah. Readjusting back into the swing of, of life and getting back into sessions and everything. But um, had an amazing time out in Stockholm.
0: Before we get into modern day YK, I want to take it right back to the beginning, if that's cool. Yeah, of course. If you can remember that far back. <laughs> <laughs> no, i got to huh. take some
1: medicine to remember yeah, that far exactly. back. <laughs> getting old, getting old now.
0: I don't know if I've ever asked you this question. So like, what are like your first memories of making music? recording music making music
1: oh that's interesting i mean my first memories i would say are probably when i was like 5 years old i started playing drums before anything else i say playing drums but i was basically <laughs> playing like the side of a glass and a bit of a lampshade and you know a cardboard box <laughs> yeah. so i started with that and i must have been about 5 years old and my parents got me i remember i got my first I don't even know how to describe it. It wasn't a hand drum, but it, was, it looked like a frying pan, but it had like a drum skin on it. And nice. like you had to hold it up to play it. I don't know if you guys know what that's called. I have no idea what it's called. But um not too my sure. My parents got, <laughs> 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 let's call it the frying pan. So I got yeah, my first yeah. frying pan drum <laughs> when I was, I think I was about seven or eight. And then by the time I was, I'm going to say 12 or so, I think my parents got me a drum set. I had like a three piece. It was like a vintage Slingerland kit that we picked up from like, oh,
2: a. Nice. wow.
1: Yeah. It was cool. Like it, it wasn't like good, but it was awesome. Like when I look back, super lucky that I picked that up. You know what I mean? Like I yeah, had no idea yeah. that it was, that it was cool at the time. My parents just went to a music shop and they were like, what's the cheapest drum kit? And I think, <laughs> They just happened to have like a used drum kit that had come in. So, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it. And I sort of remember that. And and then, yeah, I progressed to playing guitar and bass and a little bit of piano and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's kind of my early member of the frying pan drum.
0: Well, that's very cool. Memory. It sounds like you had the support of your parents pretty early on. They didn't try and shift you away from the uh annoying drum set <laughs> they, they were quite happy to you know yeah def- definitely
1: they're crazy for that <laughs> i have no idea why they were okay with that but uh but yeah they oh, were, that's being a good they parent. were really supportive
0: yeah that's great
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah my mom's like in singing and playing piano and my dad plays guitar so yeah it was i mean my house wasn't super musical or anything but i guess they both they really appreciated the the art of of music
0: me and you obviously met quite a while ago and it was in the emo days. <laughs> there were fringes plenty. and I, I first met you and we were basically kicking around trying to be in bands. That was us. You was were this? like the charismatic person that was just magnetic. You know, people always gravitated <laughs> towards you. Like, what do you remember of that time? What was music for you back then? Was it just like messing around with friends or like? Were you goal orientated, quite young, or what was it? You know, teenagers sort of age, like.
1: <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Thank you for the kind words, by the way. That's amazing, that's and right. and I felt I felt exactly the same way about you and all the guys in the band that you played with. It was just such a cool group of people, and yeah, it was it was awesome. Like, I what do I remember about that time? Uh, I don't think I was anywhere near as as goal orientated as. As I became as, a, as an adult, um, I think <laughs> I actually was in a session the other day, and we were talking about what we do. And I summarized it by saying, "I think what I do is I am on a journey of trying to not have to do real life." That's yeah. That's almost like
2: yeah. Nice.
1: <laughs> that's almost like the, the purpose that it's always been is like, how do we avoid this big scary thing called real life? It's like hmm. <laughs> let's play music you know it's it's an escape I think that's probably how I would describe it
0: yeah that's that's cool I mean I think that you know especially at that time music is just so I mean just gets into your skin and it's just like becomes all-consuming especially at that time because you know you're looking for answers or like you just escape and you just want to have fun and it all comes with like the party scene and friends and it's just I mean, it's like the greatest time, right? You know, it's interesting you saying about now being goal oriented, which I'll get to later. But I, I definitely feel like there was probably a shift where it changed. You know, you're in bands and then you went to uni and you also had a solo project and you went to uni and you studied music, right? But what was the specific angle on it that you studied? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so it was it's essentially music technology, but there was a focus on the actual sort of like scientific and mathematical side of how you create things like synthesizers and plugins and stuff like that. So that was a huge shift for me into, yeah. the, into the producer realm. Because prior to that, you know, growing up in the bands and stuff, one of my favorite parts of being in the band was being in the studio which obviously we i think that's actually how we met Yeah, one of our mutual friends matt tag <laughs> i think he hooked us up because i wanted to record and you you guys have the recording studio at ben's house
0: yeah i mean it was it was like uh eight, Cascam, track, eight Cascam, track yeah so <laughs> that's what we were dealing with but i mean it was it was cool we we just did this long day of just recording and hanging out and it was just like set up as a live band and just hit record there was no mixing as, involved <laughs> there was no mixing at all It you... <laughs> <laughs>
1: was literally whatever you played <laughs> yeah it was that and there was no other team no the funny thing is that what I do remember about that time in that particular, and I remember that's how we pretty much first met was, was basically in the studio and it was kind of like, hi, and then record. Um, but I remember like the funny thing is back then you in particular had way more sort of experience with that. At that time, I actually basically didn't know anything about recording. Um, yeah. I think at that time I might've been, in, you know, into a studio with the band once or twice, but I didn't have a lot of experience with being in the studio, but, I remember when I finally got into a real studio, like it was just the most amazing thing for me. It's weird, like I didn't identify it at the time, but I guess that was probably the first glimpse of the future. I was like, this just feels like the coolest place in the world.
0: It's interesting because, I mean, I may be wrong, but I feel like it's quite clear when you're in a band with other people who love it and who don't. I had the exact same sort of feeling the first time I went in and recorded a proper, you know, EP or whatever, or a song, I was like, I think I might prefer this more than everything else, which, you know, I didn't know that that's where I would head, but like, I really loved just sitting and annoying the producer, the engineer, and just watching everything (laughs) they're doing, asking questions, whereas not everyone's like that. Other band members are just like, come in, play their bit, go get drunk, go get some takeout, whatever. Absolutely.
2: I was definitely less interested in the recording of things that's so, interesting like which is like the total counter to what i am now i was definitely the yeah. person i was just like yeah let's just record and then let's just go and do something else <laughs> leave <laughs> <laughs> let's get some
1: pizza and beer yeah
2: yeah well okay, i was gonna ask at this time when you're in the bands what instrument were you playing in the band was it drums was it piano guitar uh
1: no it was it was a, a mixture of either guitar or bass and on um, some it was, we were so punk rock that we would swap uh, instruments. So there, oh, yeah. there was no defined. And to be honest with you, I always at band practice would take over the drum kit and everyone would just be like, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the drummer.
0: I was going to say, surely it's anything you can flick that fringe with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 100% cymbals, you know, guitar string. I think it's, it's, it's interesting, actually, because like when I say that, I never really even thought about it but maybe that was almost again like a sign of the future like the fact that i wanted to play all the instruments like you know it wasn't about like i didn't actually want to be the drummer or record the drums i just like when i'm around a musical setup i want to play with everything like i'm not just interested in the the Mm -hmm. main thing that i do which is it became guitar guitar became the, the main instrument that i practiced and probably got the best at But yeah, I guess there was that desire to kind of pick anything up that was around. And uh, that's when it got really exciting to like start playing with like synthesizers, you know, outboard hardware and stuff like that, which luckily when I went to university, you know, we had that kind of stuff around in the studios and like there was something like 40 people on the course. And obviously every person probably had one piece of gear, you know, and we all hung out with each other. So that's when I really started to get interested in like the production side of things.
0: You know, when you did your solo project, was that yeah. during uni and was that the first thing you recorded for yourself?
1: Um, no. So the first thing I recorded myself, is actually another segue of the story. But So my uncle started up uh, essentially a jingle company in sort of in the 80s. And
0: oh yeah.
1: He did... Um, basically made jingles for the radio sort of in the 80s. And wow. he segued into... He's, By the way, he's not the producer, but it was his, a company that he and a friend, they obviously saw an opportunity in, in that world. And they created the business and they hired a few in-house producers and writers to basically make the jingles. So that is actually how I started to get into recording is one... I think it was the summertime... I basically did like an internship at my uncle's company and when I was there that was kind of my first experience of like me actually being behind the the desk per se.
2: <laughs> I forgot about that. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah so that that's cool. That's a, uh, I imagine that being a really cool internship really in a way that sort of really set you on your, oh, man, on your path.
1: Absolutely. Uh, honestly like of all of the things that is definitely the main thing that I think set me on my journey and
0: that's so cool because it just shows it doesn't have to be a traditional song format it can be anything that just opens you know the idea of creating different sounds for a product that, that's really cool I mean you could have gone further into jingles as, as you know lots of people do but being exposed to that after being in such a like band heavy uh, orientated way of looking at music that probably just, yeah, really opened up your eyes to how things could be done differently.
1: Yeah, man, I totally agree with that. And I think it was just so cool, like becoming kind of the whole band and, yeah. you know, programming the drums in and then you know, putting down the guitar, the bass line or the keys parts, of the synths. And, you know, if there's a vocal required, either writing the part or you know asking someone else to sing the part and It was amazing that experience. I remember they had at the time, you know, a multi-room recording studio, like really nice. And they basically like brought me in and they just essentially sat me in a studio and they were like, cool, so this is your studio. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) "Wow, yeah, I I must've only been, I don't know, 17 or 18 or something at the time so it was it was a really cool experience and that's definitely where the bug developed and in that time I actually ended up getting a placement out of one of the songs that I did so I think that would be probably my first professional uh, music placement
2: this man gets <laughs> <cuts>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> started getting cuts early they, they slowed down quickly there don't you worry <laughs> and, and for a very long time
0: was that almost the thing that gave you the belief to be like maybe i can go into a career of getting cuts
1: i think so for sure yeah I, I didn't to be honest with you like i didn't even know what what a cut was at that time i, I literally was just like i just couldn't believe it. i was like someone actually wants to use this thing that mm-hmm. i made and i pretty much did it on my own i can't remember i may have collaborated with one of the other producers or something on that piece but um mm-hmm. The idea of like, like I said, programming in the drums myself, and then laying down the bass and guitar. I definitely like did the musical side. I think maybe the vocals, maybe did with the singer, if, if I remember correctly. That was kind of where I was like, this is crazy. Like how this technology allows us to do this, you mm-hmm. know, do all these jobs in one. And up until that point, the only way I knew how to record was like what we did at your yeah. studio, yeah, which is like it requires you know six people and everyone has their parts and you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was it was definitely a big part of the journey for me.
0: Moving on from that, you, if I remember correctly, I mean, we go back a long way to like all these things. I'm trying to remember the timeline. <laughs> but yeah, so after uni, you then got a job at Focus, right? Was that an idea of just being like, I still want to be in music. I don't quite know what I want to do. I know you were also starting to do sessions from your bedroom at that time. What was the decision for that?
1: Yeah, so that was actually the end of the professional career. Was, I ended up with Focusrite, but funnily enough, my uncle, he's called Uncle Bob. I've, I've got to give him a massive shout-out because he's the uncle who brought me the internship. And basically, when I graduated from university, You know, I obviously wanted to make the music work, but like all of us, like, how do we do that? And I came out the other end, not with much in the way of like context or opportunities. And obviously I wasn't in a band anymore. And I kind of had fallen out of the scene, to be honest. At that point, probably all of us had sort of given up. (laughs) (laughs) Bands had broken up and and we were thinking about how to pay rent and, you know, do the adult things. So I remember I called my uncle and was like, What should I do? The other thing is, I actually always thought that I would go work with my uncle. But unfortunately, as we all know now, the music business in general, sort of financially, I don't know the right word, not collapsed, but like, you know, a lot of the...
0: The structure of their business doesn't really apply to the modern day landscape, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And what happened specifically is that the major record labels massively reduced the fee to the point of being non-competitive for my uncle's business to make the songs. Because I remember the first time I worked there, Apple had just paid Jack Johnson for the iPod advert. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was in the millions of what they paid. And I remember my uncle told me and he was like, this is how we do our business. He's like, we'll create a bespoke piece of music that lyrically is perfect for whatever the message is, the advert, it will sonically and performance-wise be very, very close to the artists that they desire. But obviously, they would charge something like, say, $100,000 versus a million dollars. So anyways, I kind of always thought that I would be involved with my uncle's company and do more stuff there, but their business structure changed and they got more into doing library music where they obviously were kind of writing tons and tons of sort of albums and then sending out like the disc And then, you know, to all of the production companies, and they would kind of just like randomly pick music. But anyways, that wasn't really viable for me, because it was, you know, you don't get paid to do that. It's like you're doing it on spec. And if it works, then you get paid eventually. But at the time, I was basically completely broke. I came out of uni with a lot of debt and my whole family lives in America. So I didn't even have like a place to stay basically came out of union was like, I now need to pay rent to live somewhere. So I spoke to my uncle and he knows me very well. And he said, the only thing that you're going to be able to do in business is marketing. (laughs) Cause he's like, this is where the creatives live. You know, this is where the the goofy people go to to try to to be part of business and he gave me that piece of advice. And he basically said two things. He's like, exactly like you said, Jake, he's like, try to stay in the music business if you can. And secondly, I advise that you should look at marketing jobs because it's kind of connected to being creative, right? Like you're being creative, there's artwork, there's uh, communications, you know, and all these things. So the first job I got was, it was basically a company that sold all sorts of entertainment technologies so like they sold lighting rigging staging and then also audio equipment from mixing consoles to microphone setups and and stuff like that so for a long story short i did that for a couple of years and i I sort of ended up at focus right and that was the last job that i held before i decided to do the really crazy thing of quitting a job and trying to you know to make it in the songwriting world
0: just before we get to that was there any part of the decision going to focus right was it like oh i might gain some more contacts here or yeah might help navigate a new path towards getting closer to doing essentially what you wanted to do or was it just a job for the time being
1: It, it was definitely more than just a job like i saw the you know the opportunity of the connection but again at that time when I started the job, I had no idea like, what, you know, that I was going to do this crazy, mm. crazy thing and, and essentially pursue my dream. Mm. Um, at the time, it, I wasn't really thinking like that, but I definitely was thinking that it was one step closer to kind of being in the studio, which was obviously where I wanted to be, but I couldn't find any way of monetizing that. So yeah, I kind of definitely saw it as that kind of bridge between being involved with the recording of music in some way, but I, I didn't know how cool it would be. And it was a really cool job. And, you know, I got to fly to New York and LA. I met people like Chris Lord Algae. I spent a lot of time, you know, in some of the biggest studios in the world from Air Studios to Metropolis. To um, I can't even remember the names of them, but, you know, I got to kind of go and really be in the studio. So I, I didn't even know that I was going to get to do that. But again, that was really inspirational. And it was really cool to meet people and be in that environment. And I got to ask people how they got to where they are.
2: I think this is the, the really sort of interesting part of your story now that we're getting to that I sort of want to deep dive into. Because there'll be loads of people listening and loads of people in the similar situations where you're trying to be in music or around music But at this point, you then made a decision. And I just wanted to sort of ask personally, what brought you to that decision of being like, right, I am going to make this next jump? Like, what what was your thought process? Was there a catalyst that helped push you over the edge? What was it that made you do it?
1: Yeah, that's a a really interesting question. And I think I kind of know. uh, I kind of know the answer. (laughs) so, the background was I, as Jake said, at some point I basically converted my spare bedroom into like a decent studio. One of the amazing things about being a focus writer is I got a lot of free stuff and a lot of discount. Um,
0: and for me, thank you. <laughs> yeah, for all the <laughs> friends
1: as well, friends and family discount. But yeah, so I started building a, a little room there, and I literally can't remember why or when but i kind of i started pursuing this dream on the side of the job and i basically was doing sessions in my spare time so there was two things that happened one was this amazing guy called Jason Sharp who is essentially the first person to ever give me a chance in the sort of the world that i'm now in he was at the time head of A&R for a music company called Tile Yard Music. And they have a huge recording complex, in King's Cross, and they manage and publish a ton of artists. At the time, they had Ella Air. Shortly after I arrived there, they launched Sagala. They now have Joel Corey. I'm still with them to this day. Jason started basically giving me the opportunity to do songwriting sessions. I had initially cold emailed him a demo reel and was like, I'm a songwriter. You know, like,
2: wow, is, is there any way... Cold email.
1: Yeah. Cold email, cold email. He's, he's an absolute legend. I literally, I tell him to this day, every time that anything good happens, I always share it with him. Even if he's not part of it, he left the company about a year or so ago. So we don't technically work together anymore, but I still like share it with him every single time. I'll always call him or text him and be like, literally all because of you, without you giving me that shot amazing so yeah that was a big part of it i was already doing it on the side and what actually happened is i ran out
2: completely ran
1: out of holiday so i literally wasn't able to do the sessions and i got invited to an international songwriting camp which i believe had i think it was over a hundred people and on the list there was people who had won grammys there was big artists who were attending the camp and i i basically applied for the time off and my boss at focus right he was like
0: You're taking the piss, mate. (laughs) (laughs) He was
1: was actually really cool. And I think he had started to see, you know, to be honest, my job at Focusrite was actually like pretty intense. And there was a lot of expectation for me to like do the results. It's an extremely results-driven company. A lot of very intelligent and good business people there. And I think it was a combination of the two things. I think he, in one side, was like, I'm not getting enough from you because you're doing this. But on the other side... Really genuinely, I think he was really supportive of me doing this. I remember the conversation, and he said something like, "I think we both know yeah. like what you should do." Here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, and it was me that brought it up, not him. It wasn't like he had an issue with me, and we had a conversation. But I was kind of like, "I need time," and he was like, "Well, obviously, technically, you don't have the time to do it." So yeah, at that time, I basically, essentially, in a nutshell, I quit my job and a career that I had been in for six years to go to one songwriting camp because I was like, this is the place where I could meet the next person who will change it all. I could get in the room finally. And, you know, with one writer, then I might be introduced to other writers. I might get onto other sessions. So, yeah, I, I quit the job to do the songwriting camp
2: did you at that point believe because you were like yeah i can get in the room with these people so you, you obviously had the self-belief that you could do it like if you could get in this place with these 100 songwriters in front of these people you were like confident enough that you could do it or were you like i don't care i just want to go because i know i can get somewhere close and it's like where was your sort of like, ambition with it
1: yeah that's such a good question i think i was crazy and i think that <laughs> when i look back <laughs> <laughs> i think when i look back on it i definitely was not ready, was not qualified. But I think that, I guess what I had seen is that like from a cold email, I'd got finally someone who would give me a shot. And like, I remember our first meeting he kind of was like, I'll put you in one session. Let's see what you do in it. And, you know, so I guess what I started to learn is the idea of the building blocks of progression. And I was like, okay, like, I don't think that I thought I was going to go right the next hit, but I just saw that this is how it works is that, you know, you do one miniature win and you get another miniature win. So that was kind of it.
0: The fact that he said yes and gave you a bit of attention probably gave you a bit of confidence to be like, he wouldn't be saying yes and putting me in this situation if he didn't think I was good. So there must have been something in that 100%. to allow you to be crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah one, 100%. I mean, it was, I remember like, it was one of the most exciting things ever just getting the meeting because over my years from being in bands, I'm sure both of you guys have been involved in this. I honestly think I had sent, by that point, at least 500 communications out to the music business of, you know, back in the band days, writing every single record label with every demo you do every time and sending a new one, being like, you know, we're this amazing band, like, sign us. And then over the years after I had finished university and stuff, for me, it was just like reaching out to other writers, producers. I remember I somehow accessed this huge database of like, all of the email addresses of like every single person in the music business. And this is a a segue into another story. But by now, I've been through a few major recording contracts and publishing deals and all that. And one of the craziest things that I ever did is I signed a recording deal with Island Records. And the woman who signed me is someone who I didn't know this. But when we did the deal and we started communicating, I went into my email and I typed her name in and I found an email from like Two thousand and eleven. <laughs> and it was me with my show reel at the time being like and it was it was super like cringe and I was like, I know I've got what it takes, and <laughs> da, da 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 like literally and it was just so crazy. I was like, Oh my god. I was so embarrassed. I never actually told her, but I think I told my manager, and it was obviously like a full circle moment. This is absolutely insane. Like that this person whose email I got from some dodgy email list and and they never replied to me years later is it, actually like paying me money to make music for them so yeah so wow it was um, that, that was really really
0: cool all right let's um take a quick break in a bit just a quick break to let you know if you're looking for some free stem sample packs production breakdowns you can find some over at poolhousecom now back to the episode So yeah, your first sessions at Tile Yard, what were they like? As I said, you're a pretty charismatic person. Do you feel like that helped you in those scenarios where you're just chucked in a room with a load of strangers? Were you nervous, like excited? What was it?
1: I was definitely nervous. I was definitely nervous. But I think generally speaking, the people that are in this community are just like so... Nice and kind, and honestly, like I just remember everyone I worked with just put me at ease immediately, and I think that that helps to gain confidence. Like when the people that you're creating with are making you feel safe and welcome, so that was really like awesome thing to learn from myself that that's such an important thing to get good results from songwriting sessions. Is like trying to make everyone feel at ease because every session you do, someone there is somewhat newer to to the game they're somewhat less yeah, experienced. maybe yeah. they've never done a session in a certain country maybe they've never collaborated with more than one other person maybe it's their first time working directly in the room with an artist you know so yeah it was made easier by uh, really nice people and i think now that i remember i think most of the people that i kind of came into the room with they were all more experienced than i was because i now you know i've remained friends with so many of those people and i now look at them and I'm thinking like, oh, you were already like doing this for like four years before I met you, you know. So there's always someone that's on their path that's behind where you might be.
0: What's great is obviously you had a good experience there. So in turn, you're now conscious of that. So you will try always make sure that everyone is at ease when they're in a session with you as well. It's passing on that that session etiquette which people might not have been exposed to before.
1: Yeah, for sure it's a lot to learn really. And it's so different being just in a band and working with the same people for years and years and years. And you know, what I do is I don't do it as much anymore, but for a very long time, it's kind of like almost like serial
0: dating. (laughs) Yeah. In a way it it sounds like a weird
1: thing, but it's like you go into the room every day with two or three people you've never met before. And you obviously are trying to change the world. You're trying to make an impact with a song or a piece of music or an idea that, you know, could change the world. And doing that day in day out, is like, it's a pretty strange thing to do as a job. And yeah, but there's a lot of things that can, you know, make it easier. And I know one of the things that I didn't learn it for a long time, but like everyone, I think I used to really stress, especially before, you know, my first two years ish, they were completely funded by myself I didn't you know manage to get any form of deal for the first 2 years or so
0: so it's actually just make us jump back so I forgot about this and this comes to your planning essentially of saving money in order to take that leap yeah we didn't mention that it wasn't like you just had money there to help you do that you had to save and be like I need to put myself in a position that if I don't earn from doing this dream I've at least got something to back myself up and to allow me at least a certain amount of time where I can give my all to this
1: yeah yeah I basically just saved as much money as I could in the last couple of years of working at Focusrite and not necessarily for this plan but just sort of as a life plan in general and yeah we did a crazy thing my partner Hannah had just got a job in London and we didn't live in London at the time we lived outside you know to where you live Jake um or where your parents live and um and yeah, we basically between the the two things of her sort of getting her new job in London and me wanting to pursue this dream, we kind of just did the crazy thing, and we're like, you know let's do this, and she was amazing and super supportive during that time and and we had a certain amount of time, basically you know, sort of allocated to the mm-hmm. to the um what's the word I'm looking for experiment <laughs> <It's> like, <does laughs> yeah. It... <laughs> If, if not by this time, then this. Um, we, yeah. we did have that plan. And there was actually a point where just financially, Hannah was like, you know, you, you might have to consider, you know, she was so supportive that I think the plan was if by this time it hasn't worked, then we kind of, you have to go get get a job again. And
0: Which is a great thing. You know, there's ways of doing it. Like you can be very reckless and you can go and be like, I'm going to go on the dole and do it. Or you can be very pragmatic and thought out and you know adult about it let's put it like you know luckily you have an amazing partner who supports you and was able to be like I'll support you but like we need to be realistic if we're building a life together you know yeah. there's there's a balance there and you know I know you as a person anyway like you're always thinking of the other side you're not just uh you've got a dream but you're also in the real world (laughs) even though you're saying you're trying to avoid it like you do think about these things so it's great that you have someone who can you know like every good relationship balance you out and kind of rein you back when you're like maybe dreaming too big it's like yes dream but also let's be smart about it
1: absolutely and I think that's you know of the many amazing things that that she (laughs) provides for the relationship she's the expert at that and it's actually really funny so my manager and her have a group chat which is called (laughs) yk life management and it's you know honestly she's she's totally part of the team and you know a big part of what she does is figure out the balance and the pragmaticness that's required to to do this job because otherwise it can be all-consuming and and extremely stressful i guess in a sense so yeah so yeah no that was amazing And, and um luckily something happened that changed. And I basically, um, I don't know if, if this segues into the part of the story where it's sort of like turning point was, but just kind of in the nick of time, I wrote a song that genuinely changed my life, which is what everyone will tell you, you know, in the world that I'm in, it's just like, there's just, just that saying is all it takes is one song to change your life. And you know, I think generally speaking, that comment is like one massive hit song could make you into a multimillionaire and you'll never need to work again. But for me, that's not what changed my life. But what it was is that I wrote a song which basically signed me to a record deal. <laughs> Sorry, Bruno's just walked in. <laughs> that's uh, all very right. excited. <laughs> Bruno's my dog. He can sit there if he wants to. Sorry about that, guys.
0: <laughs> all good. Um, that's fine. Dogs are allowed. <laughs>
1: We all we all love dogs here. Exactly. We're all, this, is our main, this is our main shared passion these days. This is our our fur babies.
0: So anytime we meet now, dog walks anyway. <laughs> Pretty
1: Too much, and we still talk about music, and then get in trouble,
0: and get told off by our other halves.
2: Yeah. Anyway, exactly.
0: Anyway, where were we? <laughs> um, so yeah,
1: basically, I I wrote a song that ended up signing a project to a record deal, and everything just kind of like Domino's, went in line. So it was like, basically, I got offered a record deal, decided to go ahead with it.
0: What was that song, YK?
1: So the song's called Surviving. The band is called Sonder, which is basically an electronic music duo that I do with my friend Lorenzo. And yeah, we, we essentially wrote this song. And in a nutshell, we wrote a song, not intended to be for ourselves, that ended up starting this project. It was our first single. And... Very, very luckily, the Song did very, very well, particularly on Spotify, and it ended up doing very well commercially throughout Scandinavia. And it kind of built the foundations for pretty much everything that I did from that point onwards. But the real turning point was that it got me into my first publishing deal, got me into my first management deal, got me into obviously my first recording contract. And yeah, that was obviously the shift. That's where it was all real. Like everything that I had dreamed of and been cold emailing for for all those years like it all just literally happened in about three weeks and the song came out quickly the deal that came through it was all very quick it was it was literally in a matter of a couple of months the whole thing kind of happens and that sort of segued into a, a really long period of time which was pursuing that act which i did for i mean i'm still doing it to this day but my sort of priorities have shifted a little bit and my time has shifted Especially due to the pandemic, because of the inability to tour and to uh, travel for the band. But yeah, basically that was was my life for about five six years, um, putting out songs.
2: I've got. I was going to say I've got two questions on that.
1: Yes, please.
2: And one is like this song you said. I, I think you, you had your two year plan, and this sort of came towards the end of the second year. And mm-hmm. this song was called Surviving. <laughs> was that? Yeah. Was there anything? in that title, like when you get into a point where you, well, you needed to survive. Did that influence the writing of that song?
1: It absolutely did. And it, it was wow. the story of how that song was written is my favorite story of, of my life, to be honest. Cause like I said, that song literally changed my life. It, it opened up this one opportunity that became, as I was saying before, these micro steps to, you know, the future and all of these other amazing things that I've been fortunate enough to be part of and to do. But yeah, the song, Essentially, we wrote it with a guy called Joe Clear. Lorenz and I had met. We had written two songs previously. The first song that Lorenz and I wrote got cut within one week. And <laughs> Jason, who I mentioned from Tal he put us together. Lorenzo came from, you know, a similar kind of angle, I guess, that he was brought into the company and they were sort of trying him to do sessions. And essentially the first song we did was obviously a collaborative success. So that, you know, they sort of urged us back into the studio again. And the third song we ever wrote was Surviving. And the guy that, again, this is why this guy, Jason, is so important to me, but Jason put all three of us together. There was another guy called Joe Clear, who's this incredible singer-songwriter from Ireland. And he basically had a very similar story to mine, but it was like in that moment, he literally had flown to London pretty much with his last money. And he went around to all of the record labels and basically presented his demos and himself. And this is how we started the session. We basically said, so how did you get like here to the studio? Like, what's your story? And he was like, well, I went around London. I went to every single record label, publisher, management company I could find the address of, presented myself. And Jason was the only person who, literally the only person who came out. You know, I think he rang the doorbell and was like, can I speak to Jason? And Jason actually came out. Madam and Jason was like you're crazy he's like I need to get you in a session like you know <laughs> what an effort like yeah. it's the first time it's ever happened and just to say by the way I started this all at 26 or 27 so like I said it was like six years post-graduation and i had been working in marketing the whole time and sort of building that career so anyways we're all like Joe myself and Lorenzo we're all sort of like a similar age um you know it was kind of like as far as the music business goes, especially for artists, a bit late in the day, to be honest, you know, most people are releasing music in their sort of early twenties. And yeah, Joe basically sort of inspired this conversation. And we all shared our story, like our real story, which as I said, is very long and in depth, but all three of us had a very similar story of like near wins and big misses and never quite making the mark. I, I didn't mention this, but I, was approached two times previous to me quitting my job for publishing deals. They didn't work out. I also did an internship at a studio and it, it didn't work out. And Lorenzo had similar experiences. And essentially we had this really real conversation about really, you know, how we've been struggling for so long to do it, but that, you know, the beauty and what we do is the reward of the process and meeting the people and enjoying the Just the idea that you create this thing that didn't exist, you know, eight hours ago or whatever, like that was kind of this conversation we had. It's like, we have to look at it in a different way. Essentially, that is what led to writing Surviving. Like, I don't think we knew that at the time. It's easier to explain it now. At at the moment, we just wrote the song. But when we look back on it, we were like, oh, okay. So like, I think the conversation guided the meaning of the song. and, And I think song really meant something to all of us really deeply. And I remember finishing it and just being like, wow, like that is a really really nice song you know like something that means something to me and that was it and i
0: just ask about <laughs> the session in itself did it did it feel different did it feel like you were onto something different was there something in the room could you feel an energy within the three of you that was different to previous sessions
1: oh yeah 100% like it just something really funny that i don't think i've ever told anyone is we went out for a walk in the middle of the session and this session was written on uh, bank holiday, Easter Monday, which is funny because at the time, Jason essentially had to give us sort of like the bad slots because we were just like the, the people he was trying out. Do you know what I mean? So it was like it was always on the weekend or on yeah. a bank holiday or whatever. So everything was closed. We ended up taking a walk. And Joe got it like a really dodgy kebab shop and ate food from there. <laughs> I remember at the time, I was so conscious of money that I would never have done that. I would have brought literally a plain sandwich and a packet of crisps. So like, I remember I didn't eat and he ended up actually getting food poisoning. And (laughs) he literally sang the chorus in between running to the toilet and and throwing up. And we actually, Lorenzo and I, we had to finish some of the parts of the vocals um, remotely because he was so ill, (laughs) genuinely was like running, running to the toilet to be sick. And Lorenz and I like made the executive decision. We were like, "This guy really needs to go home because, like, he's genuinely like not okay. Like, he needs to go and lie down. Like, he looked like he was, you know, gonna faint." So, even in the chorus, not joking, he was throwing up between the takes and singing this powerful lyric about that. You know, we're all in this together, surviving. And you know, now that I've said it, I want you guys to listen to it and see if you can yeah, almost yeah. hear his genuine sort of like I don't know what the word is.
2: He probably felt like he was only just surviving.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally, you know, he made the lyric happen. And it was an incredible session. I remember it It was one of those sessions. And this, this is something that actually I feel is something that was different and that I now notice to this day, which is when you really have like a true song and a true collaboration, it's both quite easy to write. And also you walk away from it just feeling so good about what you've done because you're like, Four people got together that didn't know each other or maybe didn't know each other. But, you know, we really created something that's meaningful and it means something to all of us. And that energy, I feel, often is enough to make something happen with the music.
0: Yeah, amazing. And
1: that, to this day, I like on some of the other songs that I've done that have at least come out, not necessarily been successful, but like getting a song out is
0: you know, an achievement in itself. It's a success in itself. Yeah,
1: exactly. Regardless of whether it's successful or not, you know, that is very complicated and very algorithmic to this day with how Spotify works and how data is used in commercial music releasing. But yeah, so even coming out, that's kind of what I mean is I feel like when you have the passion and energy of a few people that really care about what they've done, it propels the chances of that thing coming out because you have this real passion for it. It's not just like, oh, you know, it's just another song that isn't that great. It's like something that you sort of champion.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing story. When you go into this world of sessions and writing music, do you say like, hi, I'm YK and I write pop songs or I'm YK and I write rock songs or is your sort of background in the sort of multi-instrumentalist things do you just go in as an all-rounder is an all-rounder a thing like yeah what's your position and role
0: usually in the sessions
1: that's such an interesting question i think there's a traditional answer in the sense of like traditionally you've got your producer your top liner maybe your instrumentalist and maybe a lyricist and then finally the artist and I think the answer to that is it really depends on the group of people. But luckily for myself, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I write lyrics and melody and I also produce. So what I do in a session is I just find what's necessary. If there's a producer who is either better than me or is more excited about doing the music and the track, then I'll let that person completely run with that and
0: this is probably exactly why people like working with you, because you let people play to their strengths, and you'll be fluid in what you need to do and what to bring to the table.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's it's not my playbook, but something that I've learned over time. It's like, it's like, how can I be useful? You know what, sometimes the most useful thing you can do is to do very little, because if someone is with you, has their own story, it's not my job to intervened into their story with my story I might be able to make suggestions and contributions but it's really funny because I think a lot of people have fear of maybe not doing enough or not having that idea or whatever it is and I learned that actually like sometimes your best role is just to be the lighting guy (laughs) just light up
0: or just make everyone feel good about what they're doing
1: 100%
0: reassure people and i think if people are pushing the song forward like you say wait until that dies down a bit and you have to be the one to help push it forward otherwise it's just going to be too many cooks in the kitchen classic situation
1: <laughs> yes 100 percent. yeah that never really works in the musical collaborative environment and there's too many ideas and i think a s- concise answer to your question is i think like i tend to find the role that's needed. And I do that for the betterment of the song. But I think generally speaking, I am an ideas person. So I often will have a few ideas, like a concept or even a hook or, you know, a full sort of vision for doing a song and those things I could present, which sometimes might spark the, you know, sort of initial idea. And beyond that, a big part of my role actually is that I often am, am a big part of placing songs. So after the song's done, I work incredibly hard to try to find a home for the song and even down to knowing exactly what artists I want to pitch the song to, or labels, or you know, certain managers who are looking for a particular type of song or, or songs for a particular artist. So I always have my ear to the ground in that sense. And I'm sort of currently developing what I would say my producer slash AR role, where I'm thinking about that from the beginning. So it's like the beginning of the session is like what could we do with this idea like where could we fit this into and mold this idea to fit with a particular artist
0: that's something i've not really heard you speak about and i guess sometimes it's really hard to identify what you're good at but if you can be self-aware you've picked out an element to what you've brought to the table repeatedly and gone maybe actually I should consciously think about this from the beginning because I'm clearly able to pick up on these things.
1: 100%. Well,
0: I think there's something in that for for everyone probably just to be like, look at what you're good at. There's probably something else you could be bringing to the table, which you haven't, or you could be utilizing to make yourself more appealable.
1: 100%. Yeah. And I think that was a, a great shift for me because being completely honest, I had Like many people, I think I had a time where I was, I feel that if I hadn't contributed in a certain way in a session, I would feel like, like I failed, you know, to the point that, of course, everyone wants to have like the hook or whatever it is, you know, like that's the biggest part of the song. But over time, I kind of realized that I was like, you know, that isn't what it's about. I remember watching Benny Blanco produce Love Yourself for Ed Sheeran, obviously ended up being a Justin Bieber song, but they're on the tour bus on Ed's tour trying to write his album and they end up writing the song and you know it's just really interesting and i've heard the story multiple times about benny blanco is that like he's not really he even says himself
0: he says it all the time yeah i I watched something on it yesterday he's like i don't do anything yeah he's like i don't even know why i'm here
1: (laughs) yeah literally but i know the reason why he's there is because he strikes the perfect balance of friendliness fun safeness but also he is really talented and he really gets music and i think people when they work with him they really respect his opinion and they have a great time doing the song when you look at it that way and you look at at his incredible career it's like okay that is enough like it's enough to just be part of it in some way and i think that was a huge shift for me because i was like pressure and stress is not a good thing to bring into a creative environment in any sense so for me it was almost amazing to almost be like no matter what happens in the session i'm going to work so hard to like get this song off the ground yeah and people will understand that value and you know now without even trying on a daily basis i'm getting a good handful of songs that i didn't write that people send me because they identify that that's a skill that i can bring to the table so you know people are basically emailing me texting me song ideas or complete songs and being like hey what do you think we could do with this? You know, like, so yeah, that was like a really big turning point for me. And it gave me a lot of confidence in my sort of overall role.
0: It's great to hear that because you can just be the guy that creates the best vibe and which is essentially what Benny Blanco does. Like in a way he's going, I'm in this room with this amazing talent. Why don't I just make them feel like they can be the best version of themselves in the most comfortable environment and, I know about music, I know about pop, but it's more important that we have a good time, we feel good, and at the end of it, it's a great shared experience. And the belief is, you know, this will kind of lead on to something you said to me recently. When it's like a spiritual endeavor like that, and this has come up on a few episodes, it's about just giving yourself the best opportunity to just create in a pure way without worrying about Necessarily, pass that one day together or a couple of days together, whatever. If you approach it the same every time, one of them will be good. Mm-hmm. That one will land. And I, I mean, I want to ask you, right? You've just had pretty much your breakout year this last past year, right? Mm-hmm. I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way you've approached every session has always been the same. Yes, you've learned things along the way, but you always give your best, you always do the things you've been saying. Is that why you now, through having success, feel like it's kind of out of your hands, I just do what I do, and the good comes when it comes sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, to some degree, yes. I think in the way of how I do sessions and how I collaborate, I think it is an ever-evolving process. You just have to continue growing and learning and sponging. And every time you write with someone, whether they're a brand new writer or, or artist or like a super experienced successful writer or artist you have something to learn from them and I think it's like you take that and move forward with it but I don't think that it changes your overall approach I think inherently you're correct like you're coming in with the same kind of idea of how you do this but yeah I think as I mentioned before on that sort of more AR business side like some of the best writers in the world have never released a song ever because they haven't managed to get their song out whether that means as a song with an artist or even just for themselves and the act of doing is the most important aspect of the career i think and so i got some advice at some point where i kept on sending like good songs to people like whether it was an anr manager or label or whatever and over time people are like hey you know what, this person actually sends good music. I'm going to start paying attention to it. But at some point, I can't remember who it was, but someone said, they literally said, I think you should stop writing songs and start getting placement hmm. because you have hundreds of songs that could be placed. It doesn't mean that they will be. It doesn't mean that you're done with your creative journey, but that actually was a huge part. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think that the breakout success I had with the song Heartbreak Anthem that honestly was a byproduct of like really doing the same thing for a very long time and then finally having something where the stars align. You know, everything connected from the song itself to the artists that ended up on it to the general public liking the song and, you know, all of this stuff worked and it was based off of kind of, as you said, doing the same thing for a very long time and it finally connected. But I think my continued success was actually a, a mind shift of putting the energy into the right places. And I think every songwriter, every person who has a music business, whether they're an artist or a writer or a producer or engineer or whatever it may be, you have to put a lot of time and energy really into what I call the doing, which is like completing the process. That might mean finishing your song. That might mean getting your song out into the world. That might mean placing your song with an artist. But that's where I had to shift a lot of my energy and time personally. And I think by doing that i've managed to now build relationships i have a platform where i so luckily have been able to prove that i have what it takes to make a hit song and now it's about sustaining that platform and i think that a lot of the work and energy has been put into being able to continually like provide the product
0: if you like yeah awesome YK, it's safe to say you've had your breakout year this past year and currently you have Becky Hill and Galantis doing the rounds on the radio. You also co-wrote and co-produced the Brit-nominated global smash that is Heartbreak Anthem.
2: Hey, hey, thank Um, you very much.
0: If it's cool, we'd love to hear the story of how it came together, where the initial concept came from and all that. If you wouldn't mind,
1: absolutely. I love to tell the story. So um, we wrote the song on a songwriting camp for Galantis. They hosted a camp in London looking for potential singles for the project, and there was only one rule for the songwriting camp, and that was no breakup songs. <laughs> so naturally, we went and wrote a massive breakup song, but obviously with the twist of that it's not a heartbreak anthem. So yeah, it's a anthem for those that refused to be heartbroken essentially on the original session there was four of us in the room and yes I think we kind of ironically got to the twist of the concept of it not being a heartbreak anthem based off of the fact that they didn't want breakup songs
0: yeah. so <laughs> it's ironic it's almost like the restriction of that forced the concept itself
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely it did and, and I think it was funny because it was one of the last ideas that we landed on of the week. And, you know, I probably wrote 10 ideas or even more during the week. It was like a five-day camp. And, you know, we were just really doing our best to stay clear of the subject of relationships and love and especially broken love. So yeah, it was quite ironic that the one rule kind of set the standard. But the funny story is that just after we had written the initial idea, the guys from the label actually came around because they were there, you know, sort of looking after the camp and making sure everything was going the right direction. And I actually have it recorded <laughs> as a voice note and they walked into the room and we're like, "Oh, we've got a sick idea." And, they're like, "Oh, cool, cool, let's hear it." We hadn't recorded anything, so we just basically played what we had on the track and sung the bit that we had, which was the hook, the same heartbreak anthem. And they were like, "Yeah, it's cool, but obviously Kalentis doesn't really want a breakup songs, so she should probably try something else to be honest." <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, but the funny thing is that's a big part of the reason how we got David Ghetto on the record because the same A&R that looks after Galantis looks after David Guetta as well. So he planted the seed in my head that he didn't think that Galantis would necessarily love the song and the concept. And that's what started the sort of sonic idea of having Geta involved because obviously the two artists have very different sound. So when I prepared the demo, the final version to send out to the label, I actually had it in my mind that, you know, Glantis probably isn't going to take the song. So maybe I should more put it in the lane of Geta when I did the initial demo. And I mentioned it saying, if Glantis isn't interested in this, then, you know, maybe you should show it to David Geta because feel like a great song and and maybe he's looking for songs without rules on concepts and stuff and yeah it worked out in the end i'm guessing he probably sent it to galantis first because i know that they were just sending folders of songs every day and christian who's is galantis like was listening to them sort of live but i i know that he also sent it to david and very quickly i think maybe even before galantis had said that they wanted it get had actually said that he loved the record and he didn't say that he was going to do it but he said that he loved it and opened up that conversation
0: well we get to how uh difficult it can be to get to come together in a minute but um just want to talk <laughs> about the actual like writing of it with this song did you approach it the same and what is your process are you picking up a guitar or you straight in with midi or like piano
1: yeah so it's always going to be different i think you know it, it all becomes a blur because obviously we write so many songs and this is written i think two years ago now or just about two years ago but what i remember is with this particular song the concept and the idea of breaking the rules was a big part of how we got to the idea. And I think that that was something that was actually discussed first before written, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> Like, yeah. why don't we write yeah, yeah. something that isn't a heartbreak song? You know, it's kind of that discussion.
0: Yeah, you're sort of realizing and and talking the concept into action almost like, were you talking about it should feel like this and you know it should feel upbeat because it's the anti-heartbreak and that sort of thing to that extent
1: yeah it was uh, from what i remember there was the idea of writing a anthem and using the word anthem in the title and that was before we landed on heartbreak anthem and before we landed on saying that it wasn't heartbreak anthem that was like the initial idea and then we're thinking of what kind of anthem you know, are we going to write? <laughs> yeah. And then we let them a heartbreak anthem. This is what the A&R told me after the fact, is he was like, that's what makes it an interesting concept, is the flip of like, this ain't a heartbreak anthem. Yeah, Maybe if it was a heartbreak anthem, it wouldn't be as exciting to them, at least, to the artists, to the label. The mm-hmm. initial song was all written on a very basic track that just had guitar, piano, and I think there was a little bit of clap and drums. It was very, very basic. I think the DNA, the thing that made it feel right, especially from the David Guetta thing, was I actually <laughs> thought of his song memories where he like basically sampled the piano with 16th notes. And that's exactly what I did. So the piano chords that circle around in the verse, I literally took them and I sampled them and played them as 16ths with the chorus and then like filtered it up. And that kind of had the most sonic identity of the demo, but everything else was just like extremely basic. But it kind of felt like it was rising into something. And it, it felt like something that Getter would do in 2010, you know,
0: yeah, <laughs> that yeah. kind of vibe.
1: <laughs> but besides that, it was just super, super basic track. We also wrote the string motif, which is like the intro and it comes in the pre-choruses as well. So it, it's weird that it had all of the core elements that are necessary almost, <laughs> yeah. but they were like very simple very rough
2: a question I've got is uh I always found like whenever you play a demo to somebody it's very hard for them to get it mm-hmm. and so when you're playing out these sort of demos how fleshed out is the track and or is it the fact that A&R guys are kind of like good enough to see through like the basic production or do you get it so it's like hard to ignore if that makes sense
1: yeah it's it, it kind of totally depends on the person and the relationship you have. Some people you'll learn, they can hear through anything. And some people literally all they need is a good idea. Just like literally a good idea. It could be a good baseline or a good lyric or a good melody. Maybe one part of the song is great. And that type of a would be happy to like develop it from that point. Okay. Other a need a finished track that sounds like it's ready to go to be able to hear, you know, the potential in it. But for the most part, the way that I approach it is I want to create memorable things that have to stay in the record no matter what happens from a production point of view. okay. So I always try to create something that has some form of sonic identity or a vibe or an atmosphere that's just impossible to get back. And those are the types of things that I've found over time that people are really interested by. And it also means that that's how I have a lot of uh, production credits on records, even if I'm not the main producer of the song. Oftentimes, they'll take a few of the core elements and reuse them in the production.
2: Cool. So, would we recognise the song from that original demo that you played to them when they walked in the room? Like, yeah. obviously, we would recognise the song. It is the song. But, like, yeah, would somebody be like? I mean, I don't even know how that gets to the finished <laughs> product.
1: No. Yeah, absolutely. Every single thing that was in the demo is is in the. Final version
2: ah oh, perfect
1: there wasn't a single thing but it sounded really rough and unrefined and without the other supporting elements you know it's very basic but yeah absolutely in this case you would and, and in most cases in my personal experience it's usually got a lot of reminiscence from the demo but i have been involved in songs and i know of songs where you maybe wouldn't <laughs> because they've maybe just taken only one idea or at the most, the whole top line and then redone everything. You know, the track might be completely different and there wouldn't really be much resemblance. So in that sense, again, it's just song by song basis.
0: I was lucky enough to be sent the song in an early form, not quite that demo form. And I think it's one thing that YK does really well is like whether it's dressed up in a dance pop way, it's always like you can tell that's a a song if you play that on just chords and melody and you put it in a different kind of format or sonic space it would still translate like it's funny because i I also know having heard quite a few of yk's songs early they don't change that much (laughs) it's just like (laughs) it's just getting it to the commercial end of things but if you pick apart heartbreak anthem it's really quite simple especially in the verses first of all the lyric is like hello it's me your ex and the melody and the chords it's like this is a hit straight away (laughs) it's like you know that's what i felt that's a single like that's a real global song which anyone can identify with and that's often when you get a real big song it's relatable across the board and it's sometimes the most simple thing but as we all know that's the hardest thing to land on (laughs)
1: spent we've we've all spent years trying trying to land on it over and over and over again yeah
0: i didn't know that it was little mix on it at the time
1: i don't think it was when i first sent it to you i I don't i don't think it was maybe maybe it was no i don't
0: think it was but the second time it was and then you were asking me which verse do you prefer and i didn't Mm -hmm. know that it was Jaden perry and I was like picking between the two of like... Which, oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I remember that. But that was that was an important question, you know, to, yeah, keep, it, yeah. to keep it non-biased. I, I was know, like, was I didn't tell you that it was them. And you yeah. were like, I remember you giving the feedback and then I told you in the end and you were like, I swear I knew who these vocalists were.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it <laughs> sounded really familiar. And maybe that's also why it sounded like a smash, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Absolutely. Um, it helps. You get to that point, the song 's clearly a smash. Everyone involved knows it, and <laughs> it 's not that simple for it just to come out, especially when you 've got big names that you 're playing with yep. here like it 's weird because we we had dog walks and you 're talking about everyone knows that this is like the one, but it 's so hard <laughs> you know you 've got people behind the scenes trying to make it all. You know, I don't want to get too in-depth and bring up too many things here, but it's just amazing how, with music, how many different hurdles you have to jump over. So you get to a point where you're like, this is it, this is the one. (laughs) And still, there's something where it basically can still not come out, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And I know how stressful that was for you, but it was essentially, what, it was like a year, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this song is basically, and it's weird, one of the best outcomes of this song is that I became very, very close friends and now partners with the a of Galantis. He's called Saint and he's become a very good friend of mine. And it's quite funny because we were kind of having a conversation and we were like, the biggest gift of Heartbreak Anthem for me and him was that it literally completely distracted us from the lockdown and the pandemic because genuinely the whole process took the entire of the first lockdown. And it was, yeah, it was about a, a year's time. But yeah, it was intense. And, you know, there was a lot of changes to the record. There was changes to the lineup. People came on and off the records. Um, you know, there was a lot of different things. Obviously, the one thing that's now known is that, of course, Jesse quit the band, which caused us to have to reconstruct the whole arrangement. Jesse originally sang the second verse, and she sang the first chorus. So obviously, those are very important parts, <laughs> So yeah, there was a lot of things that happened in between, but that was one of the coolest things about the song. Actually, more than the success is, is the relationship it built between Saint and myself, and the friendship as well. Actually, but yeah, it's it's a really emotional song for many reasons, but especially for the reason that it was such a rock for us during the pandemic. You know, it was just the thing that we did. It was like wake up in the morning, get some new news, and act on it, and yeah, just do whatever it takes to bring it across the finish line. And the thing that a lot of people won't know is that, you know, the song almost didn't come out a few times actually. Yeah. And I can't really go into the details as to why, but you know, things weren't aligning perfectly. Timing was... Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's all you can say about it. Things weren't aligning. The timing wasn't quite right, but eventually the timing was right. I just want to bring up something you mentioned there about your relationship with Saint and... It's something me and Andy have talked to each other about, and I think maybe more people, myself included, could lean on. It's like you basically have found like your buddy system there where he doesn't do the same thing as you, but you found this amazing relationship where you both push just as hard, but in different aspects of what you need to do to get songs to come out. Absolutely, And yep. it's amazing that that formed out of that song. You know, me and Andy do this together and it's a way of sort of helping each other through whatever we're trying to achieve and talking to people like yourself. It's important to find other people who are gifted at other aspects of business or art and keep those relationships. I know I haven't done enough to keep them in the past. You know, it's it's a great thing, this podcast, because I'll be able to reach out and have conversations like this. But, you know, when they fall... In your lap, (laughs) work really hard to make genuine friendship, but like actually give and take there. Like, you know, there's so much to be gained from maybe what might not appear as someone who's actually doing the same thing as you. You know, you wouldn't be where you are now without him. Like, I bet you can't imagine going forward without him at the moment, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that everything you say is true and it's amazing that. Someone actually gave me the advice at some point because, you know, I've been professionally writing songs now for like just under 10 years. And in that time I've written hundreds, if not thousands of songs. And at some point I can't remember who or when or why, <laughs> why not the <a> why, <laughs> but someone said, you know, you need to start putting your energy on, on actually getting songs out because you have a lot of songs. You have a lot of good songs. I really believe in the 10,000 hour thing. I think with any anything in life, you just have to keep on going and keep on practicing what you want to do and then at some point you genuinely have a bit of a grasp, <laughs> a little bit of a grasp on what you're doing and you can have a little bit more consistency in your in your result. But at the time I didn't really know what that meant. You know, it's it's just amazing because I've had so many amazing pieces of advice over the years that maybe at the time I received it didn't really understand it or what to do with that advice but this was the application of that advice you know is like yeah you need to find a partner you need to find someone who can help you to use your skill set in a productive way and in an efficient way and it is genuinely is it's, it's a bit like a dream for someone that does what i do because it's like it makes everything feel possible obviously saint is not connected to every single artist in the world and I have other relationships with other ANRs as well, and I'm working really hard to develop them to you know to similar standards. But we're saying it's it's just crazy. But I really feel like I met my. <laughs> it's exactly like what you said, Jake. It's like I met someone that is doing exactly what I'm doing at the same frequency and intensity, but is working on a different area of business, and we complement each other in that way because we're always you know working as hard as we possibly can to make things happen and to do things that are difficult and sometimes seemingly impossible so yeah it's it's a amazing relationship to have
2: could we maybe just for the people listening i think everyone's going to want to know so is he the guy that calls little mix and says do you want to sing on this and is he the guy that calls getter and says do you want to be on this is that what he's bringing to the table because you'll have people now Listening, that are like making songs in their bedrooms, me yeah. included.
1: Me as well. By the way, that's something to mention. Is I wrote Heartbreak Anthem in the studio, but I produced my parts um, in my spare bedroom. Just FYI. Well,
2: there you go. <laughs> so yeah, so you included, all of us included, and like you're talking there about just getting the things released. So for anyone who's looking for their saint, which kind of works in both ways of saying it. <laughs> so, me, anybody else, bedroom producer produces a song. You then link up with an A&R for example who will then take it and he'll get it out or like is there a reason this song came out with a little mix on and it couldn't come out with maybe a, a lesser known vocalist on it like where where did the decisions be made and like if you could sort of explain how he helps the journey from from bedroom to Brit nomination
1: so with Saint to give credit where credit's due Saint actually is a producer he actually discovered BB Rexer and he produced all of her early material and brought her to the label um, wow. as the producer and also as her sort of business partner, which resulted in her getting signed. But in recent years, you know, Saint is employed as an A&R and he looks after multiple artists at Atlantic Records. So for that reason, he's not really the person that sits behind the desk anymore in the producer role. But some A&Rs have more musical knowledge and others... Don't. It's a multi job, but at the end of the day, the ANR's job is to connect the artist with the opportunities. Essentially, so they kind of you look at it that they're almost like an inter-manager inside of a label. So the artist probably has a manager that looks after them in in the world, but when it comes to the activities of the record label, the ANR is essentially their point person. It's the person they communicate with. So there can be a multitude of things that they might do for the artist, but The really basic things is finding them songs, finding them songwriting sessions, collaborations and general music opportunities, you know, like, do you want to work with this artist? Do you want to put your name onto this thing? Do you want to work with this brand? All these types of things. But yeah, with Saint and I, our lines are really blurred. So like, for example, Saint will literally sit on Zoom or WhatsApp or just the phone with me for like seven hours while I produce the song and he'll just, Literally, be with me doing it, and he's just there because if he wants to interject or has an idea or whatever, it's just easier than spending an entire day <laughs> sending it and then maybe you're going down the wrong direction. But you know, he gets it and is excited by that part of the process. And similarly, I'm really interested in the business and the A and R side as well. And I think in the future, my ambition is to move into a role that kind of blurs the lines. And yeah, so for us, it's kind of like it's a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, we, we, it's like hot seating, if you know what I mean. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We're doing this, we're doing that. So yeah. um, He represents both of the two artists, David Guetta and Galantis, and he's fully responsible for bringing them the opportunity and then helping to make it happen within the label. And yeah, in terms of finding the features, we actually did that together. Me, my managers and Saint, we were all reaching out to artists together and, you know, the lines are a little bit blurred in terms of who does what. But yeah, it's like a huge team effort. And I give kudos mm. to both of them. And On Heartbreak Anthem, Saint was included as a producer on the credits. And actually, with all the songs that we do together, he is included as a producer
2: as well. Yeah, no, thanks for explaining that. That's, uh, that's interesting to know. Yeah, I
0: guess, ultimately, what you're saying there, and hopefully the whole reason... I wanted to start this. We wanted to try and build a community that maybe further down the line, there is sort of relationships built out through these conversations and people coming on. And maybe relationships will blossom from people having connected via listening to this podcast or whatever. Who knows? It'd be very cool if that does happen. 100%. So you've got your solo Alias, Yellow Koala, is there any plans for that? What do you see that as? Is that just somewhere for songs to go that don't land somewhere? Or is that a a space where you intentionally put a certain sound? Like what is Yellow Koala and will there be will there be more of it?
1: I think so initially Yellow Koala was when I you know started doing a lot of songwriting and production stuff on my own i wanted to create like an alias that falls under that and it was literally just like i needed to set up an instagram page like, all right let me think of some weird thing i think it's actually my friend connor who um he writes with medusa he's done all of their like well pretty much all of their songs but i'm pretty sure he's the one who started calling me yellow koala (laughs) <laughs> um, and it, just, random. <laughs> it just kind of stuck obviously it's like yk and i don't know i'm pretty sure that's where it came from but surely it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stuck in my mind and i thought it was was a cool and interesting kind of name so i just kind of started with that i think what it is is some songs if it feels right to me i want to have my alias be included as artistry and there's some songs where I just know that it's not for me, especially, let's say, it's like for a pop artist who's a solo artist. It doesn't feel correct for me to be like part of the lineup in that sense. So Yellow qual kind of evolved into also being a artist project as well. That's- so it's kind of everything. So and that is a little confusing, I know. <laughs> but it's, I guess I- I've seen other artists that do this as well, you know skrillex for example is one where he would be credited things that he's only produced as skrillex he'll be credited on things that he's co-written as skrillex and he'll also be included on projects as the artist skrillex so it's kind of it, it same. just
0: depends really on on the yeah. song i guess yeah it depends on the song and whether it registers with what you personally want to put out under that artist name
1: absolutely and i might without <laughs> without going out of control i might <laughs> great more i have two uh, i technically have three so I, I have sonder which is my band with my friend lorenzo i have yellow koala which is obviously what i'm using as my producer and writer alias as well as a uh, project alias and then i also have another project called tenchi oh, and yeah. i've put out <laughs> oh yeah that one as well <laughs> and the, this the differentiation between tenchi and yellow koala at least is that tenchi is my happy project it's where i'm releasing like my major upbeat okay. fun summer kind of vibe yellow koala is where i'm putting out my more dark and you know airy kind of vibes that's, perfect. that's like what, yeah. what the differentiation is for now it's like if the song feels dark then it's probably going to go
2: down the yellow koala that's lane.
0: simple enough that's all you need
2: i feel like we need more aliases
0: jake yeah maybe <laughs>
2: all the aliases
0: I'm still trying to focus on the one for now like (laughs) let's get that one off the ground first right let's start wrapping up before we run out of time again so I just want to say thank you so much YK for coming on for a second time and finishing up this beautiful guest spot that you've shared with us I'm sure it won't be the last one you're
1: welcome thank you guys so much for having me
0: oh it's been great it's been great Lastly, before you go, and we ask this to every guest, if you were to give some advice to the younger version of yourself, what would you say to that young person? That's such a good question.
1: An interesting question. This is the funny thing about podcasts. It's like you're on the spot.
0: Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um,
1: No, 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 not at all. It provokes an interesting answer, I think. I think the ultimate one is just that before anything else comes happiness and being a good person. I think that's the main thing I'd say is like, that's the foundation of, of a happy life and a long career, especially in something that's a relationship based thing. So, so yeah, I think that that's what it is. And, you know, leading on from that is like, don't be scared of anything like just do an act with love and kindness in what you do. And I think your results will come eventually, you know? And, and yeah, that's, that's kind of it, but that's my thing at the moment is just like that is the most important thing
0: in the world that's great I think what you've touched upon which I think I'm actually only just realizing now (laughs) is like actually how important the relationship side of things is and maybe there needs to be more focus on that
1: 100% I think the thing is that the industry the job itself it's so crazy and temperamental and and up in the air that it's like the baseline is at the very least what you can do for the industry and for your friends and collaborators is create an environment that's happy, peaceful and fun, you know what i mean? And it's like beyond that, let's see what happens because that is the nature of the job is let's see what happens. Like let's see if we yeah. if we do something good today, we we might not, we probably yeah. won't, but yeah. you know having fun means that at least it was enjoyable, the memories are are great and more than anything from a business point of view it means that you'll probably get asked to come back again, you know?
0: amazing perfect thank you yk where can we find you online if anyone wants to you know start creating that buddy system (laughs) you can you can find me
1: at yellow koala without the w so y-e-l-l-o-k-o-a-l-a perfect on instagram and and on spotify and and everything and yeah uh thank you guys so much for having me it's been really fun i know we've been trying to find the time to do this for ages and um i appreciate you both and i think what you're doing is amazing and i I love you guys following your passion with uh you know putting the energy into doing this
0: podcast thank you very much that's beautiful (laughs) love you bro take care lots of love guys speak soon take care buddy. Bye. like what you've heard today please hit the follow or subscribe button to be notified about future episodes you can massively help us out by leaving a review and sharing with your friends and family is also a beautiful way to help us grow
2: as always we'd love to hear from you so don't be a stranger
0: we want to build a community and we want you to be a part of it until, until the, the next one stay good, one, stay good.